Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan. For the fans of the Houston Astros, here is your host, Rob Fontenot. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. My guest today is Frank Vaccaro. I was going to say it wrong because I was practicing how to say it, but I got it right. Uh, former writer for Saber. Are you still doing that? I'm still doing that. Sure. Okay. So current writer for Saber. Frank, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm actually a member of Saber, and all members of Saber get to write. So, there you go. Do you get a Hall of Fame vote? Uh, no, I, I don't think those are – Saber has a preference on getting those. Oh, okay. uh, we definitely, we, we, we do the discussions that the writers listen to, that's for sure. All right, so I saw a story, someone shared a story that you wrote about how a starting pitcher has to go five innings before they can get a win, and I didn't even notice it was from 2013, but I found it very interesting, and that's just what I do. I send people messages in the off season, try to get all the the cool baseball stories. And so uh, I brought you on to talk about that, but I learned a few more things about you before we came on air. Uh, So you were born in Italy and you moved to New York when you were four? (laughs) Yeah, my dad was the the Rome correspondent for Look Magazine. Uh, Tony Vaccaro, he's, he's a famous photographer. He is here with me in the other room and he is the oldest, living member of the photography hall of fame um so i was born to a u.s citizen but i was born in rome uh so i definitely coming to america at four and a half years old i will tell you that uh it took me a little extra time to realize that baseball was a national pastime so you moved here for no english at all no 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 it, it doesn't sound like it i mean i mean but i guess you've probably been here you were four and 71, so you're four years older than me. Yeah, I guess you've had plenty of time to learn, right? Forget about it. Forget about it. All right, so uh, did you play? when did you start playing baseball? Um, yeah, I didn't play till I was 11, and then my mom signed me up for Little League. I, I did play. Um, I, I really enjoyed playing baseball. I liked the individual. I like how everybody gets to bat. 
uh, the individual aspect of the, the sport itself. Everybody has to field when the ball is coming to you. You have to perform. Um, but I also like the team aspect of it. It's amazing um, how you have to be a constructive part of a team. And the word sacrifice is something you have to do. And I, I think that word is taken for granted in in analysis today. Um, playing the game, um, being a team member, really appealed to me. I played you know, high school, college for Stony Brook University a few years. And had a couple of summers at Ted Williams camp, met Ted Williams. Oh, yeah? Yeah, sure. Is he the guy that wanted to be frozen? Uh, I guess you could say he hasn't officially died yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's in some kind of state status. Oh, yeah? I, I don't know the update on it. I think <laughs> it involves his family and some lawsuits and possibly the removal of his head, but... Uh, <laughs> but he was one hell of a hitter. You know, you were talking earlier about baseball being a team sport and not really an individual. I mean, it is individual, but it's mostly about team. And it just made me go right to Mike Trout. I mean, the best player on the team or the best player in the league is on a team that is going nowhere, no matter who they sign, no matter how much they spend. Uh, they just, in my mind, or in my opinion, they just, they don't spend money on pitching. You know, they got the offense, but they don't have any pitching. So you played college ball. What was your position? I I was, uh, I considered myself a shortstop, but uh, both in high school and college, but it just, I always became a pitcher. They always uh, became a pitcher. Yeah. I didn't really have it, though, as a pitcher. I, I don't understand how that happened. But, you know, talking about Mike Trout, I got to tell you, for me, it was A-Rod. Uh, um, A-Rod, to me, was the, the the perfect example of someone who I didn't think was a team player. Um, I thought that his RBIs and his production came against poor pitchers in lopsided games. Uh, and I think Bill James pointed out that if you have 15 games like that, you're going to have 120 RBIs just by being average the rest of the year. Uh, I believe, uh, I'm not prepared for this material, but I know that in 2002 or 2003, he went from the Mariners to the Yankees. Or was it, it was Texas to the Yankees. No, no, it was Mariners. So, so Yeah, he started with – I don't know. He was with Texas and Seattle, then the Yankees, but I don't know the order. See, I think was, he started it – was, It was Seattle, and then as soon as Seattle gets rid of him, they win 116 games. <laughs> and and I also like that when he came to the Yankees, he met with Derek Jeter in spring training, and he said to Derek Jeter, go ahead, you're the shortstop. I'll play uh, third base. And I liked it because – uh, for years, there was a debate about who was the better shortstop, uh, yeah. or, or Derek. And we always knew it was Derek. But A-Rod really gave that a stamp of approval. That's kind of how uh, an issue with the Astros as well. They already had Carlos Correa, and they drafted Bregman, who was a shortstop. And that's why he plays third base, because we already had a shortstop. Did they work it out themselves that way? That's, that would be nice if they did. I don't know. I think it was first come, first serve, I guess. You know, I guess 
it, he said, it, they I guess they told Bregman, if you want to come up, you're going to have to play third because we already got a guy at second. You know, he got Altuve at second. So, Robert, you better start asking me questions because I could talk baseball with you all day. <laughs> all right, well, let's get to this story. Yeah. How did this story happen? Five innings to get a win. And there's also some other questions I may have about how a pitcher can throw seven innings and get a no decision, and then some guy can come in and get one guy out and get a win. So oh, I don't you, know. You could get a win without throwing a pitch. Yeah. So come in, come in the game this, with. Yeah. Sure. Let's see if this is involved in this. So let's talk about how how you came about writing this story. Well, I I always well. I am one of the few people to research all the games in baseball history, although I have to catch up on uh, the last season and a half. Um, and I got to tell you, I used to call the Elias Sports Bureau in the 80s. Uh, well, you know, I didn't call them more than three times, so I wasn't stalking them. But I wanted that data. I wanted to graphically see pennant races as a teenager. I wanted to graphically uh, look at pennant races and look for patterns, uh, look for patterns that could be still predictability in, in pennant races, given uh, where a team is um, on a specific date. or And I needed data for, for graphs. And um, I even called the Hall of Fame. I needed, you know, I needed 400,000 points of data. And I started going to the library in 1989 and getting this data myself. I remember I did the 1916 season. Uh, I was interested in the Giants' 26-game winning streak. Uh, so I did 1916, and I remember I, I only wrote the scores, the date and the score and the opponents. And then, you know, sometimes there would be two consecutive zero to three games. So it would, I would be at home, and I, I would have to go to the library the next day to see if I made a mistake. So I redid 1916 with starting pitcher data. I also added game-winning hit data, and then I did all the seasons for a few years. And then I told my wife in 1997, I said, honey, if, if you let me start going to the library a little more, I could finish it all by 2002. <laughs> and I did. I got really intense. I went to the library every day, created my own database. August 26, 2002, I stood up in the microfilm room of the New York Public Library and I said, I finished. And there was a couple of Sabre guys there. And Cliff Blau is a great Sabre researcher from Westchester, New York. He looked up at me at the microfilm machine, and, and Cliff said, oh, RetroSheet put it online last week. Oh, wow. The timing was, was pretty crazy. One of the good things to come out of the database was looking at who got wins when. And I realized that it took Major League Baseball 79 years to get to um, 1950. Uh, when Ray Scarborough got a win on opening day, um, Washington, D.C.'s pitcher, Washington always opened the season for the American League. And that was the first modern win. He was sent to the clubhouse in the sixth inning and took a shower and knew he, he won the game. He would win the game as long as he held the lead. He held the lead. So they didn't count wins for 79 years? Oh, they they counted the wins. Uh Beginning in 1884. Oh. So there were 13 years when they did not count the wins. But 
if you think about it, each team had one pitcher. Who in their right mind would say, oh, look, Boston, in 1875, they went 71-8. and eight. And Al Spaulding was their ace pitcher. He went 71-8. and eight. Nobody <laughs> would say that. Yeah. I actually, I believe uh, Spaulding did not go 71-8 and eight in 1875. The, the manager actually used himself. Harry Wright, he used himself in games against weaker teams. So, but but that that point held true. You you wouldn't need to know wins and losses for any pitcher prior to 1880, really. You know, because the same guy was pitching the whole game. I mean, the last pitcher to pitch every game of his team was was uh, the St. Louis pitcher in 1876. And after that, you know, a guy might hurt his arm for a few games, so you'd have another pitcher come up. The right fielder might go to the mound. I mean, that's how it was. There just wasn't a reason to have wins and losses and leaders in those 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 departments. There wasn't a reason. 1884, we saw the the fourth year of the two-man pitching rotation, and 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 Henry Shadwick was a great early a pain in the ass, really. They they kicked him out of some of the league's rule meetings in this early years. Um, and he came up with the win for the Spalding Guide. Hmm. The eighteen eighty five Spalding Guide has pitcher wins. Um, it doesn't have losses. Oh no! <laughs> His the stat that he created was wins. So he had wins, and and you could see uh, the pitchers. Geez, I, that would have had to be in the year that uh, that uh, old Haas Radburn won 60 games or 59, depending on which encyclopedia you open. Uh, so that would have been the leader of that first win tabulation. So based on how you're telling this story, mm-hmm. should we go to how you developed statistics for a pitching rotation first or do the five innings to get a win first? <laughs> I did do an essay on how to determine a team's pitching rotation. Um, I think that was around 2009 for Sabre. Um, And after that, I I did the the essay on the five-inning pitching win. You know, I did mention the two-man rotation just now, and that was the impetus for Shadwick coming up with the statistic called the win. Um, I wouldn't go to rotations right now. Maybe you'll do another show in the future on rotations. Lots to oh. say in this regard. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, next year, uh, Shadwick did come up with a loss. Um, and, you know, old Hoss Radburn, he died around 1894. I guess he was 34 years old. I, I really, I'm, I don't know around that. I believe he was shot in the face in a hunting accident. Um I know, as if he was hunting with uh, Dick Cheney, but he um, he probably died never knowing he won 60 games or having a vague, you know, having people throw it at him that he won 60 games. The Sporting News from St. Louis, uh, they first ran wins and losses in 1888. The Sporting Life in Philadelphia, probably the best early baseball newspaper weekly. They first ran wins and losses in 1896, and that was when they ran a letter from a fan who determined wins and losses. So, um, the the it, John Hadler, uh, who later became the American League president, 
um, he was the one who added wins and losses to score sheets and asked official scorers to add wins and losses to score sheets. I'm going to say it was 1902. Wow. I know this would be a whole other question, but you know, you know when they started adding saves? Well, the save became an official stat in 1968 or uh, so, so basically, I, there was a time where you had a guy that started, and he got a win, and then the rest of the guys just didn't have any stats. They just had strikeouts and walks. No, I'll, I'll tell you why the save was created as an official stat. It's not that the relievers were ignored. It's that sometimes the official scorer said, God damn, the reliever went three innings. He pitched hitless both. You know, I don't care that they had a four-run lead. That win is going to the reliever, you know? Yeah. And so the relievers would get wins. It was willy-nilly. It was willy-nilly. So um, they came up with the stat. Someone came up with it in, in, 10 years before it became official. And 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 it caught on. People liked it. It it gave the official scorer the opportunity to give wins to the starting pitcher or the pitcher on, of record, the pitcher who, who gets the lead. Um, that's what uh, Monroe Elias used to call the real impetus for the win. You had to be the pitcher that gets the lead for your team. If you lose the lead, even if they win later, you can't get the win. That's what he used to say. And he died in 1927. And then after that, all things went crazy until 1950. So the rule that he set where you had to be winning, that kind of went away for a little while? Yeah, it did. It did. It did. It did. It did. It, it was awful. It was, uh, oh, the pitcher hurt his leg and was left the game with an injury in the third inning. He gets the win, even though he didn't go five innings. Uh, this was a Another game is a World Series warm-up. Oh, they just wanted to warm him up, and it, it so happens he had the lead after three innings, so they gave him the win. I mean, uh, what was it? There was, uh, well, the rain-shortened one we can all agree on. <laughs> if the rain ends a game uh, in five innings and your starting pitcher went three and the reliever went two, what are you going to do? How are you going to hold him to a five-inning standard? Yeah. Um, but, but the other reasons, such as... Um, uh, the the injuries and multiple pitchers in a game were always a problem. Um, it was the official scorer used to look at the baseball writers sitting next to him in the press booth and say, you know, Lefty Grove, and they'd raise their pencil and he'd count the pencil that are up in the air. And if Lefty Grove got three pencils and George Earnshaw got four pencils, George Earnshaw got the win. And that's that's how wins were determined, all the way to 1950. If if, and I'm going to say this, if there was any doubt, if the question had to be asked, right? Nine out of ten baseball games, it's it's academic. So it's 1950 when they got the five inning rule. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, in, In 1916, John Hadler. Remember, I mentioned him before. Yeah, he's the one. He he wrote a bulletin to all the teams, and that bulletin says, you know, if a pitcher pitches a majority of innings in a winning game, um, he gets the win, and that that that's five innings. That's five. Yeah. Innings. You know, so he doesn't use the number five, 
the National League didn't have that bulletin. And, um, oh, God, I think I got Hadler mixed up. Uh, Hadler was the National League. And I mentioned, oh. I said he was the American League. And it's funny, the American League had, was the four-inning league. You could win a game with four innings pitched. But the National League, you had to go one more inning. And I'll tell you this, Robert. Uh, Hadler also said you give the win if, if it's a blowout. You can give the win on less innings. The National League didn't have that blowout rule. In the National League, you had to get one run. One run was all you needed to win a game in the National League. And that's why the National League was always a one-run league. That's why it had a reputation for being a bunting league, pitching and defense, mm-hmm. which seemed, it seems to have grown into its own reputation. Yeah. I would say, I, I listen, looking back, I, I wrote that seven years ago, and I wrote it because in 1980, a guy named Frank Hamilton, he spent about 10 years researching the same thing I researched, uh, and he he, he came up with these 14 methods that official scores would use to assign a win, and it's legendary work. If you go on the Sabre website, his, his, his essay is there. All the record books are wrong, it's called. And then he squared away all the wins and losses for the first 20 years of the last century. You know, for a baseball historian like me, he's a hero. Uh, and I hope I did Frank proud. I actually reached out to him, and he, he responded he helped me understand a few things about uh, bias. Bias is um, bias is a big problem uh, when reviewing all wins before 1950. Um, you know, I think if if you had a computer to determine wins and losses, Robert Cy Young would have maybe 502 wins, not 511. Oh yeah. The good pitchers got the benefit of the doubt. And some bad pitchers lost five wins a year. Hmm. So we can't get into the pitching rotation. I got you for about nine more minutes. <laughs> oh, I mean, if you don't have anything else to add about the five inning thing. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's uh, I, I kind of I don't have anything to add. The injuries were big. Injuries ruined it. Official scores. You know, these pitchers would be throwing in the fourth inning and they'd have like a 4-3 lead. And, and you, could, you could tell that they were running out of gas and they wanted the win. So they'd call time. They'd call the doctor out of the dugout. They'd rub his shoulder. Yeah. I'm talking 1939. They, they'd walk off the, the diamond rubbing their shoulder, trying to show the official score that they're hurt. And, yeah. and they actually, pitchers were able to win a few games that way. So um, I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject. And like I said, it came four years after I wrote about pitching rotations. I had done a lot of research about pitching rotations. You, you know, you always want to make the ace number one as you mark your pitchers for a season. Mm-hmm. But, but aces change in the course of the year. Um, so I used the system of marking, um, of answering this question. How many consecutive games has the team gone with a different pitcher, a different starting pitcher? So, so you go to the game and 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 you say, oh, Charlie Morton is pitching. Um, well, we the last time he pitched was five games ago. So now you know they're using a um, a five-man pitching rotation. 
I, yeah. Listen, I know it sounds silly, but <laughs> you, you you have to apply it to each each team for every year from 1871 to today, and you can see how Major League Baseball moves from the one to the two man to the three man to the four man to the five man. There were teams in the 40s that, that swore by the six man, and I thought the White Sox were going to do it in 2014. You can't do the six man rotation. You you just can't. It's too many days in between starts. There's there's no real there's no real benefit to resting your arm five days. A six man rotation is five days of rest, as opposed to four days. The benefit's not really that visible. But I'll tell you what is visible: comparing the sixth best pitcher on a team with the first best pitcher on a team. Uh-huh. That is visible, um, and. You know, somehow a five-man works. Fifth man on a team can get a hot streak, but the sixth man, they, it just, there's just not enough pitch. You know, the payroll would get too crazy. Can't do a six-man. Nobody's done it. It doesn't have anything to do with, because uh, I, I always wonder, like, why do they? That's what I was curious. Why do they come up with that they need four days rest in between pitching? I mean, why? How do they figure out that that's how long it takes to recover? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, when it was a one-man pitching rotation, they solved the problem by having less than 50 games a year ah. um, and having games Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. Um, when they went to a two-man rotation, um, they only had 90 games a year, 105 games a year. Um, they went to a three-man rotation in around 1888, and they had about 140 games a year. And uh, then 154 games was the standard for 60 years. And I think that that's when the four-man ruled the day. Became a five-man in 2011. Oh, yeah? yeah. I knew the – I knew the. Uh, there's so much that has, has changed now, and I don't know if it's because of all the – the breaking pitches or because of how hard people are throwing, but you don't have complete games like you used to. Uh, a lot of teams have the pitchers go through the rotation twice. Sometimes. Uh, okay. Okay. You're, you, you know what? All those things you're talking about, you're talking about baseball is a game that has so many different moving parts that, you know, Everything you just said, every every stat in, in those areas that you're talking about has goes back 10 decimals, and we have statisticians that add them up. And the answer to your question is the fielding glove. The fielding glove. The glove brings all these stats together. The speed, the effort that a pitcher has to throw, the ability of the batter. If you make the glove back to where it was in 1948, you you can no longer play baseball by being a good, strong batter. What, what we have today with these large gloves, with these catch-all gloves, is you don't need to be uh, necessarily, you don't need to be an all-star fielder. So batting has become the emphasis. If you made the glove size two-thirds of what it is today, um, I'm going to say half of the Half of Major League Baseball players wouldn't, would be liabilities on the field, and they would yeah. immediately lose their Major League jobs. Your scores would come down. Your pitchers would be able to throw complete games and shutouts. Weaker batters would come in. 
but you wouldn't really realize that because because all of baseball would deflate. Right now, it's it's high pitched, um, uh, very powerful batters, and the emphasis is off fielding. There are so many games without an error. Why is that even? Why is it runs hits and errors? You know, yeah. why can't it be a five to four game with seven to four errors? A lot of people consider that the kind of baseball game that 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 brought us the game that we have today. That's the baseball history part of it. I had uh, Tom Gilbert, the guy I told you about that wrote the the uh, I don't know the myths about how baseball started or whatever, and he was telling me a story about about how they didn't have you know because you were talking about gloves. And he was saying the starting pitchers back then, and this may be why they only needed one guy, because he said they only threw like 30 or 40 miles an hour. I mean, it was some one guy just like figured out how to throw harder. And, you know, I, I can't remember the whole story, but it was pretty interesting. And it, and it had some of something to do with gloves, like what they were what the catcher was using to catch with. You couldn't throw that. You couldn't throw a hundred mile an hour ball to that guy because he couldn't catch it. So correct, correct. So, so that will be an interesting topic for a show someday too about how gloves have well, call has me up. changed. Baseball. Even if it's not a podcast, uh, I'll always talk baseball with you. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so. That's pretty interesting. All right. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. You got a nice <laughs> little uh, thing going there. I, I saw some of your old episodes. Uh, it's good talk. It's good talk. You got a passion for the game, and I really love it. Thank you. I appreciate you joining me. Okay. Thanks, Robert. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Make sure to subscribe so that way you will be alerted when there is a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger for the ones who get it done.